Good morning. Please uh, take a seat. So uh, I do have a slight admonition for the congregation. It's independent of the message, but I know that you think Seattle people aren't that tough. And I get it. I mean, adults buy uh, artisan lollipops in my city. (laughs) But you can't go about canceling stuff because it's raining. Like, that, you'll never do anything. I was like, what is, it's not, yeah. So, we would be out there doing lawn bowling right now. So, um, good. So, sorry that 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 didn't happen. Um, I should tell you now, too, that I won't be able to make it next week. I got to get home early. So, uh, I mean, I'll be here Sunday. I have two more, two more Sundays. I'm very, very thankful for that. Um, very thankful for our time here. Let me pray, and then uh, we'll read this passage in your bulletin on page 10. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercies. We ask you um, to show us who you are, to teach us what you've done, and to tell us what to do and believe. We pray in Jesus' name. And David said, Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show kindness, the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear. I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I'll restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall always eat at my table. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard to a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house, I give to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so will your servant do? So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. And he was lame in both feet. Sermons um, don't usually do well to start with questions, but here's my question for you. What are you doing here? 
How is it possible that you could be here or I? What right do we have to be here? What expectation should you have to sit in front of this king's table? How in the world could it be that you are here? What part of you is broken and crippled? Have your feet gone where you have been told? Has your mind taken every thought captive? Has your heart loved the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength? Has your tongue spoke only the truth and only the truth in love? Have your eyes been pure? Have you coveted? Have you worshipped? What part of you is broken? And how could it possibly be that you and I are here? doing this in the presence of God. Mephibosheth gives us the answer, but really David. And that's that the king invited us. He called you. He saw your soul limping. He saw your eyes blinded to him, your ears stuffed and mine as well, unable to hear truth, your, your feet stumbling all the time to follow it or distracted in other ways. He saw all that. He knew all that. He knew our father and mother, that first great king that fell, Adam. He knew whose grandsons and daughters we were. And he still said, when he arrived in the fullness of his kingdom, is there anyone of my people that I can show God's kindness, the word is hesed, his faithfulness to. It's very likely that you and I have lost the wonder. Surely it's easy to do in my world, in my job, to be here, to prepare, to study. It's almost certain that we have lost the stunned wonder of a Mephibosheth who came in expecting to be judged and was given a seat with the sons of the king at the king's table. But you and I, after these 10,000 Sundays, maybe it's your first Sunday, after all these studies and all these sermons, we come in forgetting what an extravagant, marvelous, wonderful, gracious, has said, has been shown to us that we might come here and sing songs to God and offer prayers, eat at his table, and be loved. Every question I ask about you, I ask about myself too. I'm hoping that today our wonder will be restored and our arms will be open. That's what I want. I want us to remember what we deserve and how far we should be from the king's table. And then I want us to welcome everyone else to it that we can possibly speak to and invite and touch. So let's look at how Hesed fills the house of God. And then let's watch David invite. David's, uh, this be the last sermon 
as we talk about Hesed filling the house of God, this will be the last sermon when David is really killing it. This is the last good David sermon. We have two more weeks and we'll see that, that David finds his way to falling in a spectacular way. But that's not today. That's not here. That's not at this table. This moment, David, at the consummation of his kingdom, when he's finally established himself, this is David at his zenith. Notice that the crescendo right before the fall is not to ascend into Jerusalem, but to open the table to broken people. I want to go back just a little bit. I want you to see how established David is. And we didn't look at chapter 8, but it just records a lot of his victories and his mighty men. And then David establishes himself. He puts uh, Joab over his army, and Jehoshaphat becomes a recorder. And uh, interestingly, uh, he sets up priests, including his sons. And uh, he, a man named Sariah is his secretary. And so David has finally established himself. And the, the apex of his ministry isn't conquering of Judah or even the uniting of his kingdoms in the arc of the narrative, but it's this expression of kindness. He sets the table for others. He sits back and he remembers the faithfulness and kindness, the sacrifice that Jonathan made for him, and he asked the question that in a fashion we might imagine is asked of all of us, who else can I show kindness to? And the father says, all those I gave you. David says, is there still anyone in the house of Saul that I may show kindness? I've mentioned a moment ago that the word kindness is a fine translation, but it's a translation of hased. It's God's loving kindness. It's a, it's a specific um, expression of God's faithful commitment to his covenant promises that we saw earlier David himself had been shown in chapter 7, just as the king was promised that he would. The theme of God's kindness, we're told in chapter 7, God says, my steadfast love, same word, my kindness will not depart from your house. And this is essential and why we need to have the awe of our invitation to this table, the safety of our sitting in this place in the presence of God. We need to have it restored because because the measure by which we understand has said has been given to us, that becomes the measure with which we can offer a said to others. How kind has God been to you? How much has he forgiven? What has he overlooked? What, what should bar you and me from speaking to him, from serving him, from being fed by him? Receiving his baptism and feasting at his supper. This loving kindness, that's where this, that's the hesed that fills the house of God. This is what, what God has been always doing and forever done. That was the whole paradigm at the beginning of the Bible. God set up this grand house for us, this great place for us where there would be peace and fellowship and feasting. And we disrespected that place. Then, then God called his people out of Egypt and he said, go to the promised land full of milk and honey where, where there will be vines and, and water and fertile fields. And then we disrespected that. 
You know, the temple sacrifices were shared as meals by the sacrificers. So even the temple itself is this house of Hesed. This loving kindness. Every time you um, eat trail mix. Every time you feast at a holiday. Every sip of coffee is a, is a generous Hesed and kindness from God. Every single one of those things. It's what he's always done. And then it's no surprise that this is what we read in Isaiah. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for his people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, uh, of rich food, full of marrow, aged wine and refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. That great feast killer. This is the love that you've been shown. This is always what God does. But there is in, um, in my own heart and in yours this temperament of entitlement, um, perhaps just expectation, maybe just the rhythm of eating and sleeping and coming and worshiping that deadens us to the stunning shock that people like me can do things like this and eat at that table. Sandy and I did a, a wedding years ago. They've probably been married 20 years now. We did a wedding on the Friday after Thanksgiving. Um, Justin, here's a pro tip. Don't do that. For a lot of reasons. It won't be like this story I'm about to tell, but wow. Um, so we were doing premarital counseling with this sweet couple, and they, they mentioned that their family was coming in on Thanksgiving. And... Um, and you know, we were like, what are they going to do? They're like, well, no, they'll just get here. We'll, we'll eat out. And so Sandy and I, you know, Sandy is, uh, takes her Christianity more seriously than I do. So she's looking at me like, can't do that. And I know we've been married long enough. I'm like, I guess we're having them over for Thanksgiving. And so I said, of course, because, uh, because the uh, house of Hesed or something. And, uh, so, but here, here's, here's what happens in the house of Hesed. It, it never, um, doesn't always really work out so well. So they were, we didn't never meet the, any of this family. There's about eight of them coming over. We didn't know any of them except the two that were getting married. And we were going to have dinner. They were supposed to get here at 3.30. And um, we like tried to make sure that they all got here at the same time because we don't know anybody. And at 11 o'clock, our doorbell rings. They had driven over from the eastern side of the state. So Sandy's like getting ready. She'd been cooking all morning and she just went to get ready. And I go down there and um, they are in a DEFCON 4 family argument. Like almost yelling at each other on our front porch. And it was so bad that I had to separate I sent one group of combatants downstairs, and I, that's like, hello, my name's Mike. This is what, and another group upstairs, and we spent about 45 minutes trying to get people to calm down. They stayed till 11 o'clock at night. Are you taking notes, Justin? 
I, I, we could go on. It, it got crazier. But that's the problem with Hesed. Let's close in prayer. No. <laughs> the, the problem with Hesed is that Hesed is messy because of all that stuff that I ask about you and I was really asking about myself. We still bring that in. Mephibosheth is still crippled in his feet. He's still the son of the, of the son of the, of the fallen king that tried to kill the real king. And so be aware that not only does Hesed fill the house, but Hesed breaks all the rules. Understand how countercultural this would have been for David. He breaks political, economic, family, social regulation. In the ancient Near East and even not so ancient in the West, um, what you did with the descendants of the king before you, what did you do with them? You killed them. At the very least, you exiled them. You, you didn't empower them by putting them at your table. That's what kings of the ancient Near East did. That's what kings still do. They, you know, all of our, most of our Christian monarchs in Europe did the same thing all through the Middle Ages and on through the Reformation. And it's just what happens, but not here. Not, not here. This is, this is part of the glory when properly understood and lived out of Christianity. That, that God does not destroy his people, though we rebel always against him. Jesus said, you've heard you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and invite them over for thanksgiving. No matter what condition they're in. And you know, I don't want that story to sound like, uh, and of course I realized I had a moment to be like Jesus. No, I was, I was grumpy and irritated all day and through the wedding. I don't think I showed it during the wedding, but it was not fun. Listen to what Paul says, for while we were still enemies, this is in Romans chapter 5, while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. He's broken every rule, but, but also he's done something redemptive. Uh, if you backtrack when David in chapter 5, and that's okay if you weren't here, David was going to take, uh, or you don't remember, more likely, David was going to take, uh, take Jerusalem. And the Jebusites, the people that lived in Jerusalem, they said, they said, oh, we'll fight you off with the lame and the blind. Remember that? And then the saying came that not, not the lame or the blind will enter into Jerusalem. So it's no accident that, that this young man who was crippled when, he was running for, when his nursemaid was running for her life and she fell onto his feet and broke both his feet. It's no accident that... that that, yeah, of course the lame and the blind come into Jerusalem. I'm looking at like two, three hundred of them, whatever it is here. And you're listening to one of them. Of course they do. So let me tell you the two rules that, that um, the house of Hesed breaks. And the first is uh, friends and family. Um, 
we've seen that Mephibosheth is a, a son of a rebellious king that tried to kill the grandson that tried to kill David. He is a threat. There's always an exposure. There's always a risk. And we'll see in a moment that this is what all saints is called to do. It always, there's always a call to the people of God to, to open our door wider. To, to welcome those who don't fit with the rest of the people in the room that may challenge us or make us uncomfortable. We, we break the friends and family rule, not just the people we know and not just the people we perceive to be safe, but, but the people who are like we were to God when he broke the friends and family rule to take his enemies and make them his sons and daughters. That's what you're called to do. And do not be mistaken out here uh, where the beautiful people live in Meridian. There are plenty of broken people out here. Some of them live right next to you. There's plenty of people with the same kind of crippled parts that you have. And there's some who are more obviously um, distressed and broken and marginalized. And if you have received this hesed, if it's come to you, who am I and who are my house? What am I doing here? If you've received that hesed of God, as David calls it in verse 3, if you've received that, then, then you give that. That's what David's doing. I understand hesed, therefore I give hesed. That's what we're, we're called to do. We break the family and friends rule. We also break the useful and beautiful rule. Just before this passage, David's mighty men are all listed out, or a number of them. And, uh, you know, David's mighty men are those guys who got stuff done for him and who protected him and who were at his side. And they're all, you know, they're all the sort of studs of his kingdom. And that's, that's fine. God uses the gifts in this room and he uses the people in this room and um, all of those unique uh, glories of his image that you bear and the gifts of the spirit that you've received. He uses all of them. But, um, but every one of us is also this broken person who doesn't really belong here. We have no usefulness. We have no cachet. We have no street cred, whatever you want to call it. Interestingly, where's Mephibosheth from? Do you remember the name of the town? His name is, the name of the town is Lodabar. It means no thing. We, we still don't know where this place is. So what, what's your pedigree? What's my pedigree when we get to a place like this? Am I the third, the fourth, the fifth generation of Christian? Have I, have I studied the right things? Did I go to the right schools? Do I have the kind of job or the trade? You know, what, what do I have? Well, I'm from Lodabar. Everyone here is from Lodabar. We're all here because Jesus said, I'm going to invite people to this feast 
that I can show kindness to. Paul Koistra, who was um, the president of the seminary that I, I, I went to, and then he later on, still a denominational leader, he's retired now. He became the moderator of General Assembly. So there's, imagine, 2,000 Presbyterians um, using Robert's rules of order to give one another emotion sickness. And he, he led the whole meeting. But when he got up, I'll never forget the very first thing out of his mouth after he was elected. He said, our problem is that we are a bunch of nobodies trying to be somebody while we follow a somebody who became a nobody. And that's us. So the house is full of Hesed and it breaks the rules. Breaks the family and friends rules. Breaks the useful and beautiful rule. Mephibosheth's got nothing. He's not going to ride into battle with David. He's not going to be David's counselor. He's going to be sitting over there with David's kids at the kid table. No, at the son's table. So let's talk about that now. Let's talk about how this transforms us or how maybe it should transform us because there's, there's a group of characters here in this story that teach us how we might respond. Of course, David is the chief where he gives to us um, this great invitation that we're about to celebrate. Um, But the first thing that I want us to see is that God's hesed has transformed Mephibosheth in substantial ways. It's hard to decipher exactly what his name means, but the, uh, at the heart of it is shame. This is a man who bears a name that evokes and includes the idea of shame. And what happens to him? Well, he becomes honored from shame to honor at the king's table. You have been taken to this honor. He's been given empowerment from exile. He was off in this unknown place, laying low as the children of the fallen king should probably lay low. And he's brought in close, and that's what's happened to us. He comes in and he says something that we would never say, what am I, a dead dog? And, you know, this is not Seattle. In Seattle, dogs get more respect than children. This is the ancient Near East, and he's, he's made from a dog to a son. He's gone from nowhere to the heights. So one of the things I want us to understand, aside from the series of questions that I asked you, is the other side of coming to terms with those questions is, is the degree to which we understand the stunning marvel of how we can be here. To that degree, we will, we will be able to enjoy the stunning honor that we've received to be here and the measure of, of extreme grace that's been, that's been granted to us. So we can be, um, we can do this thing. We, we can do what Mephibosheth gets to do for the rest of his life where, well, until David has to run for his life, but we're not going to be able to tell that story. Um, he gets to have all this honor. He gets to be moved from shame to honor, from exile to inclusion, 
from dog to son. And, and how does he get that? Well, he just gets it by hanging around the king's family and eating. Which is a pretty big deal. If you're exploring Christianity, that's what we want you to do. I want you to hang around the family and feast with us. And then we'll serve together. So enjoy that. Enjoy that. There's also some um, more ambiguous um, characters in this story. Ziba, you never quite get a good, clear read on Ziba in the story of David. In this situation, what we see is that he's living large with his 15 sons and 20 servants on a bunch of land, and he gets called in. His language with David is a little more stiff. Um, he's, he's a servant, but he's not humbled. He never gets down on his knees. He says, well, as you say, I will do. And imagine a circumstance where he has got dominion in all intents and purposes. Saul's land is his land and his son's land, his 15 son's land. And now this is taken from him. He knows enough not to challenge the king, but it's not at all clear that he's embracing the king's inclusion of Mephibosheth. He's perhaps just tolerating it, which starts to sound like me at about... Three o'clock on that Thanksgiving day. So maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're overwhelmed with the honor. Or maybe you have things like, hey, I've worked this land. Well, I'm, I'm not really stunned. I'll, I'll obey, but I'm not really stunned. Stunned anymore. And there's perhaps one more group that's just mentioned slightly. And that's uh, David's other sons. Now, Imagine you're David's eighth son. You know you're not going to be king. But now you've got to eat next to this guy that can't walk, that was the grandson of the guy that tried to kill your father. Do you see anyone when you survey this room where you wonder whether or not you like them or trust them or you feel good about them being here? Don't answer out loud. Well, those are the people at the table. There's those who understand that they've been honored and included and are blown away by it. There's those who, who tolerate it and just do what the king says. And then there's the sons who we don't really know a lot about, but we can wonder if they wondered. Now, what I've said throughout is that you are, um, and I, are to, to marvel at... Um, what's happened to us so that we can invite others into it. How do we do that? Well, let's do this. Let's make hesed our Torah. Remember what David said in chapter 7 in the last message? He said, is this your way with us? Is showing the immeasurable kindness of making a house for me? Is that your way with humanity, he asked? Is that your Torah? So here's, as I'm closing out my Sundays here, this is my prayer and hope for all saints, that, that you would do two things. One, you would discover and rediscover over and over again the marvel of your presence, 
listed among the sons and daughters of God who get to feast at his table and sing his praises and serve his kingdom. And then that you would open up this house of Hesed to everyone in the Treasure Valley. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercies. I ask you please to uh, give us a, a, a real um, vision of how far gone we were. How deeply into the exile of our own darkness and sin. How um, dishonored and shameful we were left to ourselves. Um, how we were too. It's hard for us to say but we too were dead dogs, something to walk by and cross the street away from. To, but yet here we are, sons and daughters. May we marvel at that and then may we open the doors of this church, of our homes, of our hearts and our tables wide to everyone else. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.